0: Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Word, and I'm excited to do book studies because I really enjoy just kind of reading into a context and reading into a people group specifically that that these letters or these books of the Bible get written to, and uh, this one is called the Book of James because it was written by the guy who has named that, and uh, the reason we're calling it Dang James is because this particular study uh, is from a guy who is just very direct. I relate a lot to James, uh, basically because my name is James as well. I'm James Aaron. Uh, so there's there's one way that I relate. Second way is uh, I get in trouble a lot for being very direct. Um, if you've spent any time with me, I can be direct. And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't mean uh, to to just speak truth that just goes, just like get you real quick. But I can be known to do that. And I'm aware that some of the words that I speak though may contain truth in them, can be sharp, and I apologize at times, but James is like that too, and he doesn't apologize, what's wrong with that? Dang, James, (laughs) but he says things very direct, he says things how they are, and it it does have us just going, all right, bro, chill, man, like calm down a little bit, right? Like give me the lovey-dovey side of Jesus and spirituality, we all like that stuff, right? Yeah, the coffees and our devos and our quiet times. And James just comes out the gate really, really strong and really heavy, and he doesn't stop until the end of the book. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through it. We're going to go through his whole book. So let's get into it. And uh, feel free that if something gets said, they're like, bro, calm down, James, just to let it out. and Go, dang, James. Let's practice on three. One, two, three. Dang, All right, you guys got it. All right. So I've given you liberty that at any time if something, something said is just like, wow, I just got up in my business, made me feel something. Dang, James, we'll be all right. We'll play that way this entire series. You got seven weeks of it. It's going to be awesome. So here we go. James opens the book, and he starts in James one. 1. He says, James, that's his name. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was heavy for you guys? All right. You're really going to love the rest of this content today. This is James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. So right from the get-go, you have to understand, though he is very direct, James is also very humble. And because this is a guy who's got some accolades, and some things that he should have put behind his name. You know how like if you've got a degree and, and you've got like alphabet soup behind your name, right? So we talk about our accomplishments or even you all refer to me as Pastor Aaron, even though I'm just like, I'm just Aaron. Like, like he doesn't start with any of his credentials. He doesn't start with any accolades, no, no education. No, there's, there, we don't even get his last name. We get nothing. We get James. And the thing that he talks about most is that he is a servant of God. And that he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know who this guy is? James. James is the brother of Jesus. This is James Christ here, guys. It's actually not, but it's just in case you thought Christ was Jesus' last name. It's not. But this is. This is Jesus' brother. It's his half-brother. They don't have the same dad, but they got the same mom. And... uh, it is his brother, and I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus's brother, bro, that would be something I dropped everywhere I went. <laughs> Stepping right into the front of the Chipotle line, it's okay, I'm Jesus's brother. <laughs> Handicap parking, busy day at the mall, it's cool. I'm Jesus's brother. Dang, James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you're not on the list, sir, you can't get in. It's cool, I'm Jesus's brother. Is there a doctor in the house? No, but I'm Jesus' brother. <laughs> like, come on. you Are going to tell me that you wouldn't use that on a regular basis? Like, do you all know how much favor I have experienced in my life because of the proximity of some of the relationships I have? Like, I would use every bit of opportunity to experience every bit of favor I could because that's my brother. I know him. That's Jesus. And he will know Jesus James, like nobody else does, if you think about it. Because James, here he is, he's the brother of Jesus. That means he grew up with him. That means he saw him as a kid. That means he saw him interacting with mom and dad. He saw him interact with the kids in the neighborhood. He saw him at school. He saw him at church. He saw him in all these environments that you and I will likely never see Jesus in. Because Jesus was also fully God, but he was fully man. And James got to experience all of his humanity. And I think the greatest testament that Jesus actually is, who he said he was, is that his brother believed it. Because think about it. My brothers know me intimately. They do. And they know. They, they know. In fact, my, when my older brother lived closer, he said, Aaron, he said, he said, I don't like going to church. He said, but I'm going to your church because I know you, and I know that you're not everything else that I think preachers and pastors are. He said, I, I, know, I know that you love me, and you love people. I got a reputation with my brother. He knows me, but he knows that I've also got flaws. He knows that I've got issues. He knows all of them. And James would have known all of Jesus' issues, except Jesus didn't have any. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, but never sinned. And he believed, and he's writing this testament to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah. That he came, lived, he died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. This is who James is, and he is the greatest reason we have to believe that Jesus It's exactly who he says he was. He calls himself a servant of God, and watch this, a servant of my brother, because he says I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says so without any sarcasm. He believed it. James was also a pastor of one of the original churches there in Jerusalem, and what he's doing right now is he's writing this letter. He's writing this book to a Jewish congregation. They're all Christians, but they're all Jews. And he's writing the letter to them at a tumultuous time because persecution had started and the church, as a result, had started to scatter. They weren't able to meet together anymore. In fact, we can all relate to that. 2020 happened and that's what happened to us, right? We Weren't able to meet anymore. All of a sudden, we're doing church in a a storage unit online every weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God we could continue to do that but also so glad to be back together with you guys. So the verse continues on. He says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Hello. <laughs> James is going writing this letter, and when you, when you look at it, you're going to find that he has a goal to help people live out their faith in this new reality where they are now scattered, where, where they're going through something. So how does he start? What does he want to talk about? The first thing James addresses in this book is trials and temptations. Dang, James. So that's our topic for today, and I think it's relative to all of us because all of us walk through these things. In fact, talking about trials, you're either in three places in your life. You're either about to go through a trial, you're currently in a trial, or you're coming out of one, right? We're all in those places, and all of us experience temptation on a regular basis. Some of us, it's moment by moment, hour by hour. Sometimes, especially from an addiction background like I come from, it can be minute by minute. Dang, James, thank you. Got somebody participating back here. We all deal with these kind of things on a regular basis, and like a good pastor, James wants his people to be able to overcome both of those things. And so I'll give you a simple thought that is kind of like a through line throughout this, this entire talk today and, and throughout these verses. Uh, this, this through line is simply this. If we don't quit, we win. If we don't quit in trials, we win. If we don't quit in the midst of temptation, we win. And you're gonna see this over and over again. And so he starts, here it goes, after his introduction, verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. He's buttering them up. Whatever you face cotton candy. <laughs> consider it pure joy when a puppy dog runs up to you. And I can pat that dog's head. Can I pet that dog. And they say yes. That's consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when there's no line, and they give you extra protein at Chipotle. Come on, somebody, consider it pure joy. On your wedding day, consider it pure joy when it's bedtime after a long weekend. Oh, God. I'll just receive that right now. That's not what he says. Those are all joyful things. Nah, James gets at it and he goes, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Thank you. That's true. Joy is not what I would say is the emotion that I would experience in the middle of a trial. That's just not. But James gives him a reason. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And what are trials? trials. Trial, trials are situations and difficulties in life that happen to us, okay? They happen to us. It's not messes that we created. It's stuff that happens to us. It's like, like I'm not feeling well, and I go to the doctor, and then I get a report from the doctor that I got a health issue. Could be long-term, could be terminal. I don't know what I did. I don't know what caused it, but here I am. Or it's like losing your job. Well, we got to cut some bu- cut cut the budget and we got to cut some people loose and that email shows up and they're like hey we really enjoy having you work here unfortunately we got to let you go it's the 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 financial loss that you suffer because something happened in politics and all of a sudden the market has taken a huge dip and your retirement's gone it's the bad days it's the stuff that you just never saw coming it's situations we didn't cause. But we still find ourselves in the middle of them. And they oftentimes come out of nowhere. And however they happened, whatever got us there, James wants us to know that we have to learn to work through them. That we have to learn to never, ever give up. Now, I want to be clear here. God does not cause these situations. He is not the source of your pain. But he does want to use them. That is clear from Scripture. You say, use them. Use them for what? Well, God wants to use them to mature, uh, use those trials to mature us. We can have that happen. That can be our experience, that whatever it is we are going through can be for our good. And there's a few things we gotta do in order to experience that. The first thing we gotta do is get God's perspective. You gotta start seeing things how he sees them. And God has an eternal, it's a big picture view. But when it comes to pain, we have an immediate worldview, don't we? Pain's not comfortable. We don't like trials. We don't like that kind of stuff. Discomfort, Uh Uh-uh, no thank you. We are a comfort-loving people. We seek it out. And oftentimes our prayer when trial comes is not God help me get through, but it is God deliver me from. But God cares more about your character than he does your comfort, and therefore he oftentimes leaves us in the middle of them. And we find ourselves facing trials on a regular basis, but if we see them as God does, then we can adopt a proper attitude. Because James says, consider it pure joy. So whatever it is you're going through, you can be joyful about it. It's a choice. It's a choice. Listening to phrases like this, and especially facing what he's talking about here, reminds me of morning people. Where are you morning people at? I can't stand you morning people. Just can't. It's not that I don't like you in general. It's I don't like you early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. It's not that I'm not thankful to have breath in my lungs and another day ahead of me. It's just that I'm sad to be awake sometimes. <laughs> I get up in the morning, I get up slow. I've got a process, I've got a routine, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get that Jesus juice filled up in my coffee cup. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I, I'm gonna hold it and it's gonna be my friend, and I'll pet it and love it and call it George. I wake up slow. I do not want to talk to you in the morning. And if you talk to me in the morning, I will speak. But it's all mumbles. My mom will see me in the morning sometimes. She'll go, good morning, Aaron. And I'm like, what is that? I don't like it. I'm not a morning person. But this reminds me of like what morning people are like. They're confusing to me. See, people who get excited about extra credit in school, they're the same kind of person. What are you excited about? Your executive pastor over there gets excited about about extra credit. We'll do it all. James is talking about be joyful like that. Be joyful about something that's, that's counterintuitive. You can choose that, and I want you to have that, and James tells us how to have that. Now, to be clear, he's not asking you to be disingenuous about the pain you're experiencing or the trial that you're going through. You ever met somebody like that going through a really, really tough time, and they're just pretending like nothing's happening? I'm blessed and highly favored. God is good. Yes, that is true, but they're also, like, dying, but they don't share that. They, like, press it down. James isn't asking us to be disingenuous about it. He's not asking us to pretend like it's not bothering us. What he's saying is we can choose joy, like childbirth. On the other side of the pain of childbirth is great joy, and therefore the process can be joyful to you, and many women adopt that perspective and enjoy it, though it's not pleasant. Dang James. Dang, James. <laughs> not a woman. I've never experienced it. I never will. So I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. I just hear stories. That's all I'm saying. But it's, you can consider it pure joy because you don't have a choice about the trial you're going through, but you do have a choice about your attitude. You can choose to be upset. You can choose to mope. You can be a total Eeyore if you want to, or you can choose to be joyful in the middle of your trial. You choose. Are you hearing me? You choose. And if you choose joy, it changes how you go through it. So James is telling us, consider it joy, and ultimately he's asking us and inviting us To trust God's process. If you get God's perspective, you can consider it joy and then just trust that, hey, this thing, this trial I'm going through right now, it's for my good. It's going to shape me in a way. God's going to work on me through it. He invites us in verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want that for you guys. I want that. James wanted it for his... His church too, and and he's inviting them to trust God's process. Sometimes it can be hard, especially when you don't understand the process, when you've never been through the process before. I can relate. In 2019, I had a very specific prayer. I can tell you exactly where it was. I was driving on 71. I was headed home. It was early in the morning. I just left a convention, and I was talking to God. I was pouring my heart out, and I asked him to do some significant things in my life. If you know me and you know my story, you know that 2019 was one of the worst years of my life. And at the beginning of 2019 is when I'm praying this prayer God, do something significant in me. And I ask him for some things. And his response, I remember it so clearly. He said, I will do this, Aaron, but I need you to trust the process. I said, Okay, that's scary to say that to God. It was scary then. I understand what I'm asking you to do. may be scary to you because you don't know what that means. But you can trust the process. Later that year, I would have major back surgery, major reconstructive surgery. Couldn't even stand to preach anymore. I was regularly sitting in a seat on Sunday mornings. I'd walk out to the stage, I'd sit, and I'd walk to another seat where I'd greet people after service. Couldn't stand. Couldn't go to a grocery store. Could barely function. That's a bad place to be. And then earlier that year, I went through a mental breakdown, and I, I checked into a facility to get some help for a week at one of the greatest facilities in the world in Nashville, Tennessee, a place called OnSite. I checked into that place because I heard two voices in my head that told me to leave my family or to end my life. These are not things I wanted. It was the enemy working overtime in my heart and my mind. And I needed some help. And I get to this mental health facility, and you know what uh, the one statement that they have written everywhere is? Trust the process. (laughs) I'm like, all right, Lord, I see you in this. I'm scared, but I see you in this. And though I'm in pain right now, and I don't understand what's happening, I'm going to choose to be joyful in this, and I'm going to trust the process. Trusting the process isn't easy, especially in the message moments, in the pain-filled seasons, the the what-the-heck days. It's not always easy to trust. But the process is the journey through the trial. You don't ever get the process when we're constantly looking to be delivered from the trial. We can go through this trial because we know that God is going to be with us. We've got to trust the process like we ask our kids to trust us as parents. If you're a parent in this room, you know there's plenty of things that you don't allow your kids to do or you want them in bed at a certain time. There's certain things they're going to eat or not eat. There's certain people they can hang out with or not hang out with or you're going to limit their time. On the list goes of the restrictions, as your kids will probably call them, the rules, but the things that you as a parent have put into place to help shape and mold and grow them into, into strong Adults, mature adults. And as kids, we want them to trust us and we need to trust God too. That the things he has for us, whatever it is we're going through, that what he's up to is good for us and we can be joyful about it. Why? Because he's good. Because he's for us. Because he has good things for us and he can be trusted. And since he can be trusted, we can use our trials to draw close to God. We can absolutely use that as that opportunity. C.S. Lewis says this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is trying to speak to us in all things, but he specifically has something to say to us in our pain. So lean in. Let him know where you're at. Let him know that it sucks. Ah, this is not cool. I don't like this at all, God. He can handle it. Besides, he already knows your heart. Lean in. Let him know that you trust him. Or, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this that you're facing, let him know that you don't trust him. Oh. Oh. Look, there's a great story in the Bible of a guy who who comes to to the disciples, they can't heal his son, but he's desperate and he comes to Jesus and says, well, if you can do anything. He said, what do you mean if? If. And the guy says, I believe, and all of a sudden he realizes, I don't. And he says, help me with my unbelief. One of the greatest prayers I've ever prayed. Help me with my unbelief. Because I know you're good, and I know you can. I'm really struggling to believe you will. Help me with my unbelief. God can handle it. So you can ask him for his help. Ask him for his help in the middle of them. Get God's perspective. Trust the process, and ask him for his help. God, I'm having a hard time trusting you right now, but I want to. Help me see what you're up to in my life. God wants to help us in our trials. He wants to be with us. Not, not always going to deliver us from them, but he'll always be with us, and he'll always help us. And since he's with us, we know that what we need from him, when we ask him, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. In fact, James tells us this in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, watch, he's just walking you through the process here. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault. And it will be given to you. You ever go to somebody and ask them how to do something for like maybe the 10th time, and they're like, Look, I've already taught you how to do this 10 times. You're a bonehead. (laughs) Ever, Ever met anybody like that? When you ask them for help, or you ask them how to do something, they're just not very kind. That's not who God is. If that's your experience with authority, with pastors, with parents, with teachers, that's not who God is. God is generous, and he does not care. He's not going to find fault for the reason that you are there asking him for something. He's just not, especially when it comes to wisdom. He's got it for you. He will give it to you generously. That's how God gives. He so loves that he gives. Paul said that he is the God of way more than we could ever ask for. Or believe, like, or, 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 excuse me, way more than we can ever ask or think. In Ephesians, that's who the God, our God is. He is the God of way more, and whatever you need, He will give it generously. So hear this, please. In the middle of whatever it is that you are facing today, ask God for what you need. He already knows. He already knows that you need it, and He wants you to ask. Last year, I was in training with with uh, one of the greatest therapists in the world, named uh, Mary Bellafato. And Mary said, she asked me a question about something that I wanted. And, uh, and I said, Mary, I'm, I'm not really sure what I want. And the, the statement she has said to me, I have allowed to echo across the entirety of my life. My leadership, my marriage, my relationships, my personal life, my professional life, all of it. And she said, Aaron, if you can't say what you want, you ain't never going to have it. Sometimes we just got to ask ourselves, right now in the middle of this trial, what is it that I want? What is it that I need the most? And then we got to ask God. We got to ask him for it. So let's trust God. Let's ask him for help. And in the middle of our trials, finally stand firm in our faith. That if we're going to choose to trust him, let's stand firm in that. Let's stand firm. Let's not vacillate back and forth. Let's not say, well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn this over to God, but then I'm going to take it back from him, and I'm going to handle it all myself. That's what we tend to do, isn't it? The things that we're stressed about, the things that are, are causing us pain. We give it to God, but then we take it back. James addresses this and says, when you ask, you got to believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Dang, James. Yeah. Dang. It's so easy to be double-minded, isn't it? It is easy to trust God and pray, but still take it back from him. No, I'm going to handle it. I'm going to fix it all. I'm going to run around. I'm not going to rest in God's provision at all. It's easy to do that. Being double-minded is like me and skydiving. If you were to ask... We're going there. If you were to ask me, Aaron, you want to go skydiving? The answer is both yes and no. Yes, I do. Because I've been skydiving. It was a lot of fun. And do I want to go skydiving? No. No. no see, here's the thing. I like the idea of it. I like, the, I like the, the thrill of it. I like to be thought of as a bad boy. Like, oh, boy, man, you do some scary stuff. Yeah, I do. Sometimes I just like to do it once. That way I've accomplished it and I've done it, but it's like a never again kind of thing. That's kind of how I feel about it. I'm a little double-minded about skydiving because I did it. I went in. I was about 220 pounds when I went. They were a little concerned because this tiny parachute and the guy that I was going to jump tandem with, he was about my size, and they're like, I don't know. That's a lot of weight on one parachute, but what the heck. I was like, wow, skydiving just got scarier. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was young. I wasn't married, had no kids. YOLO. That's right. That's right. I was going. My mom's like, don't tell me about it. I don't want to know anything about it. Yeah, it's fine. But I, I get up there. I get strapped in. I get on the plane. We're, we're tight. We're tandem. Like, we're locked in. I wasn't the first one to go out, and also wasn't the last one. And I willingly scooted up to the window. And then I, and then I got into that window, and I crouched down, and I leaned out that window. Remember, I got a grown man on my back. Close. And now... And now I'm hanging out this door, and then he says, okay, now I want you to move your hands from the, from the bar. Look, I'm just looking over nothing, by the way. This is just open air. And he says, I want you to move your hands from there. He said, I'm going to grab the bar. I want you just to grab onto your straps right here. So now I do that, and then he steps into the window, and now I'm hanging. And every bit of me that was excited to do this all of a sudden said out loud, I don't want to do this, because we were already falling. Nothing I could do. I'm double minded about it. And James is like, don't be this way. Don't, don't be on both sides of this thing. Either you trust God or you don't. And, and, and if you're on both sides, don't think you're going to get anything from Him. You need to stand firm in your faith. I know it's scary to trust an invisible God, just like it's scary to trust this tiny parachute that it's going to help you land but we did. And I have landed safely with my God so many times. And the Bible is full of stories. And this room is full of stories of people who have trusted this, the invisible God and have put their faith in him, stood firm, and he's provided every single time. I don't know it's scary to trust, especially if you don't have any experience with him, but God is a taste and see kind of God. We oftentimes want understanding before we obey or before we step out. And God's like, no, understanding comes on the other side of that thing. It comes on the other side of faith. It comes on the other side of the journey. He wants you to taste and see that he is good and that what he has for you is good. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to test him. He wants you to try him, to see what he'll do so we can learn to stand firm in our faith for what we're asking to receive from him. Peter speaks to the value of standing firm in your trial and what's happening within you during it. In 1 Peter 1, verse 7, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. How? Because it's being tested. Your faith is is no good until it's tested. The strength of a relationship, you can talk about it all day long, but it's not really proven until it's tested. He said, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Man, I want this for you. God wants this for you. And James, he wanted it for his people. And if you're missing it, here's the theme. If we don't quit, we win. We stand firm, we win. In the middle of whatever trial, So James, of course, talks about the trials that they're currently facing in the midst of this persecution and being scattered. But then he moves on to temptation because he knows that with every trial will also come along temptation. Sometimes temptation itself can be a trial. But he knows that in the midst of your pain, you're going to look for an escape. And a lot of people, this is the time when their desire for comfort will lead them to sin instead of standing firm and trusting So God is using our trials to mature us, but I think that Satan, Satan wants to use temptation to destroy us. That's his job, anyway. We have an enemy, and his job, according to John 10.10, is three things. To steal, kill, destroy. That's his job. And he will stop at nothing to destroy you. But you know what his favorite weapon to use to destroy you is? You. Because you know where temptations come from? Trials are external. Temptations, they're internal. They come from the wickedness that's in our heart. And the Bible tells us that though you may look like a good person, you want the people to think you're a good person, the Bible says you have no idea the wickedness that is in here. No idea. You don't even know the bounds of the, and the depth of that wickedness that is there. And the enemy wants to draw that out of you. Because if he can get you to act on it, then It's sin. And and that is how he destroys you. Temptation, my friends, is not an obstacle that's in a road. Temptation is a fork in the road. Temptation is a moment where you get to decide which way are you going to go. That's what temptation is. And James says it directly, again, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So your temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from within you. And we need to understand what's going on. More specifically, we need to understand the process of temptation. How does this happen? Because God doesn't tempt us. And since it comes from within us, you need to understand God, God can't tempt you, by the way. It's not in his nature. It's not who he is. He is not going to tempt you. That temptation will come from within you. And James says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own. It's yours. It's in you, your own evil desire, and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, in other words, you hung out with that thought a little, a little time. You spent some time with it. You invited it over to Netflix and chill. Well, I'm just talking about the temptation, but that temptation may also be a person you decided to Netflix and chill with. That idea just rolled around in your head. And it hung out for so long, you had ideations about it, then you started making plans for it, and then you acted on it. And when you acted on it, got intimate with it, well, it creates a child. And the Bible says that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So this this offspring that your desire has is sin, and sin goes on and has an offspring as well, and it's death. Each one produces something. It's a trap. It's absolutely a trap. Your, Your sinful desires are a trap. There's a pathway that leads to death, and here's simply how it works. It starts with deception. It moves to desire. Then goes to disobedience, and finally leads to death. With deception, that's the first story in the Bible. Eve said, the serpent deceived me. She was the first person to sin in Genesis. The serpent deceived me. He deceived her by saying, is that really what God said? Is that really what he said? She took her eyes off the prize for just a moment. She took her eyes off of what was true, what God had said. And the Bible says that she looked at the fruit and saw that it was good. Sin's not bad, by the way. I mean, like, it produces death in your life, but when I say it's not bad, I mean, like, it's fun. If you aren't going to tell me that sin isn't fun, you ain't doing it right, kids. I'm making no bones about that. Sin's fun for a season. Until you walk that, 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 that sin out, and it leads to death. So it starts with deception. You get your eyes off of where you should, which is the truth, and we start looking somewhere else, we get hooked, and desire takes root. There's no, no sin action yet, but we begin focusing on what we want. This is where the, the usual suspects of lust, greed, and pride show up. The enemy knows exactly how to bait you to get you to bite. He knows your weakness. He knows your past. He knows those secret desires that you have, those sinful ones. And he will use, you, use it to lure you in like a fish. And it leads to disobedience. This is where we cross the line. We've missed God's best for us. That's what sin is. We bought into our own demise, trusting in ourselves, and not God by pursuing our desires, and it leads to death. It's just imminent. It's what's coming. And it, it's, he's not necessarily talking about a physical death. Everybody's going to die at some point in time. That's what the Bible tells us. It's appointed everybody to die. But there can be death of opportunities. Some, some sin that you do in your life has, has actual consequences within your community, will limit you from opportunities in life. Some sins that you do will will disrupt your relationships, even end them, lying, stealing, adultery. These are things that will end relationships. There can be death of your integrity, death of your character, death of your reputation, death of your marriage. There are some sins that if you commit them, it could be a death of your career. Anybody ever got fired? I have a couple times from the same place. It's weird. (laughs) Story for another day. And then some of us experience death emotionally because there are some emotions that are killing us. Shame, condemnation, guilt. We experience death in a lot of different ways. Sin's fun for a season, but it leads you to a place of death in some form or fashion. Here's the thing. I know you all know this already. You don't need me to tell you. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you are experiencing it right now. You're dealing with the consequences of your choices and your sin. But the good news today, there is such good news. The good news is that we serve a God who brings dead things back to life. That while we were yet dead in our sins, Jesus died for us. And the good news is is that today you can have a brand new start. You can be forgiven. You can be transformed, made a new creature. And you'll have that opportunity at the end of the service today. We'll pray together. But that's the good news but sin is deadly, and the enemy will use it to destroy you by tempting you to sin, and you'll miss God's best for you. So we can't play around with it. we got to stop getting close to it, stop playing with the snake, stop pushing the envelope, quit getting so close to the line. You're going to get bit. You're going to cross the line. Quit playing with it. It was said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. There is a way, though, out of our temptations, and it's simply this. It begins with being real about our weaknesses. We've got to be real about our weaknesses with a a person, with somebody in our life, and with God. We absolutely need to learn to be real about where we're struggling. Each of us has a weakness. Any of us can be tempted, deceived, and led away by our own desires into sin. And James says this in verse 16. It's a warning. Don't be deceived. It means you've got a choice. There's a path you can walk. It says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. See, being deceived means in order to be deceived, there, there has to be a truth somewhere and a lie that gets told. That's why we need to know the truth. We need to be in our Bibles. We need to know what God has to say about us. And someone specifically needs to know the truth about what you're going through, how you are being tempted. Because if you don't, you're all alone in your weakness. You're isolated, and boy, the enemy wants you isolated. You are easier to pick off when you are alone. Like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not one, but he acts like one looking for someone to devour. Y'all ever watch National Geographic before? You see the lions on there? They will chase down a herd, and their goal is to get one of the herd to divert. Because the second one diverts from the herd, they pick it off. Because when you're alone and you're isolated, you're lunch. You're lunch. And our enemy is compared to a lion because he acts the same way. Don't be alone in your temptation. Perfect plug for why you need to be in a grow group. Grow groups started last week. You can still get in one. Open the Church Center app or stop by the Connect Center and talk to somebody about the groups that are available. Get in a group. Get in relationship with other believers, people that you can share. Not only am I going through this trial, but I'm really tempted to do this. When I'm tempted, I make sure I'm not alone in my temptation. Many of you know my story, and you know that, that I come from an addiction and recovery background, and the thing that I was addicted to was pornography. And to this day, I still deal with and or fight to remain sober day by day, sometimes moment by moment. And in my sobriety, one of the things that I do to make sure that I am not alone with my temptation so that I win because if we quit, we lose. But if we don't give up, we win. And so I text people. I text my wife and I text my friend Gary. And I literally use these words it's just two I'm weak. And when I text that to my wife and my friend, their first response is, I'm praying for you now. Their second response, I'll share in just a moment. But I share it with them because I don't want to be alone in my temptation. Temptations coming are normal, guys. The, the fact that you are tempted to do something that, is, that, that is, is, is diametrically opposed to your moral stance or your biblical position, what God has for you and who you've been in the past, just because you're being tempted to do something that is just not like you, does not make you a bad person. Doesn't even make you a sinner. Jesus was tempted. He was not a sinner. But don't be alone with those temptations. Don't be alone with them. Share them, especially in the midst of a trial. Your temptation doesn't have to lead to your death. It can lead to something good instead. Because once you are tempted, you know the enemy's battle plan. Ah, this is how you're going to try to take me out. I got you. He just tipped his mitt and he didn't even know it. Just showed you how you're going to win. And so when you, we can use temptation as a target for growth in our lives. We can fight back having recognized now this is an area that we need God. We need his help. We're weak. So we invite him into the conversation so that we can learn how to overcome. Because if we don't quit, we win, guys. And James wants us to see that there's beauty in these pains. In the midst of your trials and your temptations, God has something for us. He's growing us, forming us into the image of his son. We can overcome temptation. And it starts with knowing who God really is. And James tells us every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who's not changed like shifting shadows. There's this tension here between light and shadow. Why? Because God is light. And our temptations are what exist in the shadows. And that when we invite God in, what happens when you turn on the light, guys? What happens to the shadows? They disappear. See, the things that we leave in the dark, they grow in the dark. But when we shine a light on them, it destroys them. We need to invite God into that conversation. So we need to share with a person. We need to share with God. This is where I'm struggling. I need you to shine a light here in this space. And we invite God into those temptations. Those temptations disappear, and we learn how to overcome our weaknesses. And this is where that second part of the conversation I mentioned earlier comes into play. But first, read this from Paul. 1 Corinthians 10:13 tells us, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful even when we're not by the way he says God is faithful he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you're tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it there's always a way out guys God, God said he's letting you know that in the middle of your temptation that he is going to be standing there like a flight attendant y'all ever been on a plane before? blow into this little tube <laughs> inflates the vest well, the flight attendant will tell you if you're on when you're on the plane your exits are here please take a moment and identify the exits that in case of emergency you know how to get off this thing so you don't go down with the ship oh and by the way in the midst of an emergency emergency lights will come on the floor will be lit up and tell you exactly where where to go but you know what happens in the midst of an emergency by the way this is your temptation you gotta look for the lights. You gotta look for the exits. And then an exit's just a door until you decide to step through it. Then it becomes an escape hatch. You've got a responsibility here. And that's why when I text my wife and my friend Gary that I'm feeling weak, there's like praying for you now. What are you gonna do? Because I need to identify the exit and I need to let them know what I'm gonna do. And then I get followed up with later on. Hey, did you step out that door? Hey, hey did, you, did you use the escape hatch that you identified? And how did that go? They want to know, and you can do that too. You can absolutely do that. So let me share a few thoughts on how you can invite God into the darkness of temptation. I'm going to do this quick because I got to go. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, um, an easy way to remember it is ACDC, okay? Here we go. <laughs> a, avoid the situation, duh. Seriously, wherever that temptation is coming from, lock the phone number, close the laptop, put your phone down, don't go to that place, avoid it. Seems simple enough, right? Avoid the situation, avoid the temptation, avoid the place, avoid whatever it is until you have accountability. You get some accountability around that, like I've got with my wife and my friend or with Covenant Eyes on my phone. Get some accountability. And then counter with the word. Jesus did this. You got to know God's word. In the face of temptation, Jesus spoke God's word to the enemy. That's how he overcame. He overcome by the blood of the lamb, So, what God has for you, and by the word of your testimony. Yeah, use the word. Speak. Get a verse for your situation. Stand on it and fight the enemy. The third one, develop healthy friendships. I've got this in my wife and my friend Gary. You need them too. Get in a group. You need to have somebody that you can share. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm tempted. My head's not right. I need some help. I need some grace. I need some prayer. I need some encouragement. I might need some counsel. I need some support. And I definitely need some accountability. You need people in your life. It's part of God's plan for your development and your growth. And the last one is commit to prayer. Invite God in. Ask him. Ask him for what you need. Jesus said in his daily prayer, don't let me be led into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. And in every way that you are tempted, you can present that to God every day. And ask him, help me. Help me with my lust today. Help me with my greed today. Help me love my spouse today. I'm struggling. Help me love my kids well. I've been so irritated and angry at them lately. Help me. You can do this. You can ACDC. And for those about to rock, I salute you. Avoid this situation. Counter with the word. Develop healthy friendships and commit to prayer. This is how you'll overcome so that you can live in victory. What does all this mean? James is telling all of this, and it points to this beautiful thing as I wrap up today's message. This is verse 18. Because this isn't just about self-help. This is about how we got here. That we're going to go through trials and temptations. But we have a God who chooses us. He wants to be with us through those trials. He wants to be with us through those temptations, and he wants to see us succeed, be victorious. James reminds us, here's who God is. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Who's the word of truth? It's Jesus. He's presenting the gospel message right here, that God so loved you. I wish you'd hear that today. God so loves you. that he gave his son, Jesus, that whoever, no stipulations, whoever believes would have everlasting life. That's how much God loves us. He chooses us. And he said he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, being born again in Jesus, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God wants to be close to us. And it's important that he writes this to this church that is scattered and persecuted and going through a trial and being tempted. God wants to be close to you. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your temptations, stop pushing him away. You may feel like that's the wrong time to be close to God, but it isn't. It's the best time to be close. He speaks loudest in the times of our pain. So let's be committed to the beauty of this, lean in to our relationships with God. Amen, everybody? If we don't quit, we win. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this series. I, I thank you for the directness of James and the beautiful picture that he painted for us today. That Man, when we're going through it, and we're all going to go through it. You love us so much that you've chosen to be with us. You chose to sacrifice, to give more than anyone else has ever given to do more than anyone else will ever do for us so that you can be with us, so that you can comfort us, strengthen us, and provide for us in those times of pain. You're with us through those trials and our temptations, and we thank you for it. We praise you for it. Help us live in that reality this week. Help us to live in that reality. Now, in this moment, as, I, as we wrap this service up, this is still a moment of prayer, and it's serious. I said you have an opportunity enter into a relationship with God through his son Jesus and if you're ready to do that I'm going to pray the prayer you can have a brand new start you can be a new creation right now this is your moment if you're going to pray that prayer with me all of us are going to pray but if it's for you today would you just slip up your hand and say Aaron that's me today I'm doing it do it now hand up yep thanks 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 yep I see you all across this room thank you put your hands down church we're going to pray together everybody out loud Jesus I need you forgive me of my sins make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, heaven's having a party, simple church, celebrate with the many that said yes to Jesus today. Man, I'm so stinking proud of you.
1: Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved.